Hello, this is Father David Nix on the Padre Peregrino podcast. This is TCE, Theology and Current Events, number 29, Uncancelable, with Captain Emily Rainey, who is back. Thanks for coming back on the show, Captain Emily. Thanks, Father. I really enjoyed last time, so decided to come on for round two, and I know it's going to be a great talk. Uh, thanks to a couple of my donors. If you look over my shoulder right now, people, if you're doing the video, I have a new flag that someone sent me as well as the uh, holy face image that came all the way from Ireland. So I'm gonna to try to get some information um, from the people that gave those to me in case they are replicatable. Um, but I'm really thankful because people sent those as a gift. And also there's a lot of people out there asking me for advice and spiritual direction, and I can only respond to so many people. So please realize that this is, this is partly why I make these videos and this blog, because as all these people have all these different questions, especially the ones that we're gonna talk about right right now today. Um, I make these to reach as many people with common questions on courage and prudence and stuff, current events, the VLX on how to pray. Um, as most of my donors know, you can text me prayer requests. Sometimes I can fit those into Holy Mass. Sometimes I can't, but they always can get to my divine office, which is the Psalms. I do ask married women to include their husbands on the threads, not due to any past impropriety on their part or my part, but just to live beyond, repro beyond reproach and keep things short. Um, and now today I want to give you again, if you want to hear the first time Captain Emily Rainey was on my show, a little bit longer CV, um, but today when we talk about Uncancelable and some things that happened in her, her past week, I do want to give you the basics of her life as a U.S. Army officer. She was an intelligence officer October of 2012 to November 2015. She was a cultural support team leader in support of the U.S. Army Special Operations Command, deployed to Afghanistan from March of 2013 to December of 2013 conducted dozens of helicopter infill night raids while assigned to the 75th Ranger Regiment. She was a student at the John F. Kennedy Special Warfare School Psychological Operations Qualifications course. She was a PSYOP officer from 2017 to 2020 and distinguished award. She got the Distinguished Military Graduate, the Bronze Star Medal, the Army Commendation Medal with two oak leaves, Army Achievement with three oak leaves, Military Outstanding, Volunteer Service Medal, Combat Action Badge, Parachutist Badge, Valedictorian, valedictorian of the Special Operations Captain's Career Course and articles published in the do's and don'ts for being a Republican or Democrat in the military. Captain Emily Rainey, you had an interesting week this past week. We thought that uh, things might get a little bit quieter now that you've um, not been uh, accused for a little while of the January 6th quote unquote uprising. Um, and now you're just trying to start a farm, but you're still getting in trouble. Yeah, um, I guess I'm just a, a troublemaker. Um, so this past week, I went to our school board meeting. We had a little rally ahead of the uh, ahead of the meeting. It was pouring down rain. It was awesome, and it was mainly because the the school board was going to take a vote on whether or not to continue to mask the children in the public schools in our county. And um, so at the school board meeting, I took off my mask. Um, I had to wear it to get in, otherwise they would not have let us in at all. Um, and I was sitting quietly, um, non-disruptively, and I was physically removed from the premises by two police officers. I put a picture up on the screen for anyone watching the video of the beginning of that when they grabbed your wrist. What did they say to you outside? Well, it's the same thing we've heard over and over again, which is I'm just doing my job. I'm just following orders, um, which 
you know, famous, famous words from, from anyone that it's ever committed an atrocity, I think. So, That's right. so it was, it was uh, more dramatic than, you know, I intended, or I thought that school board meeting was going to be. Um, these are generally rather long meetings. Um, not saying that they're without any um, intrigue, because usually there's really good speakers, members of the public address the school board on the issues that they plan on voting on that day or for that for that meeting. And um, yeah, I mean, I think I was specifically targeted because I'm kind of known in the community for taking a stand and, and taking action when there's an injustice. And um, I was not going to comply as I've not complied all along with these dictatorial um, unethical mandates. So did you show up looking for trouble? Oh, no, no, actually, I didn't think we were going to get any. We don't have a, a federal mandate for masks. We don't have a state mandate for masks. Um, and there are multiple people in the crowd also not wearing their masks. So I didn't think it was going to happen, but it seems like trouble finds you when you, when you refuse to comply, when you don't obey, um, and you don't want to you know, bow the knee to evil, evil and unconscionable things. So if there were other people who were without the mask, how did you get named again in the news this week, or maybe for the first time, but you made the, the news again, you were called the menace of Moore County. How, <laughs> if there were other people without the masks, how did you end up the menace of Moore County? Um, so this, I think this all comes back to trying to strike fear in others by making an example of one. So that was the case. That's what the military did to me. You know, they made an example out of me in order to keep everyone else in the military from, from speaking their mind, standing for truths, you know, uh, using their constitutional rights all within policy and regulation to, to fight, you know, the oncoming heirs of Russia, right? So we, the same thing happened on a local, much, much smaller level um, here this week where they were basically the, you know, the media who is all leftist owned, even if it's a mostly conservative county, um, the media was making it very clear um, that if you don't go with the party line, we're going to you know, smear your name across the county too, and 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 call you a menace. So, don't be like don't be like Emily Grace. What would you do with the line from Romans thirteen? Romans thirteen one, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. I think people could maybe listen to this podcast and say, if they tell you to wear a mask, um, it's right there in the Bible to be subject to governing authorities. What do you do with that? I have been approached with this kind of often more often from non-believers than from believers so non-christians will try to say things like you know jesus would have wore the mask and all of this and and i just say get behind me satan because this is this is not like that all of that i talk about authority a true apostolic traditional catholic understands authority very well and you need to understand where authority comes from, of course, but at the end of the day, the, the higher moral requirements of your conscience, you know, supersede low level dictatorial edicts. 
Now, my understanding is we have the right to re refuse to do bad laws, but not arbitrary laws. So how could you say just wearing a simple mask fits in the category of bad law, not arbitrary law? Because I think we have to obey arbitrary law. So I, I, I definitely think that the case is easily made for why the mask is damaging. As a psyoper, I can say that it is entirely a priming. Um, it's a tool for priming. It is not, there's not even an attempt made for effectiveness. They, the, the studies are conclusive on this and every study ever published before 2020 all reached the same conclusion. So if it is being used as a tool, then we know that this is for compliance for more and more grave, um, grave violations of not only the constitution, but our, all of our consciences, then we have to stand firm on the first step because that's what priming is all about. So um, for the mask, it is, is a non-negotiable for me. I will not wear it. And then for, uh, since you're a PSYOPs officer, used to be, can you define priming and describe where the mask is priming is going for us? Well, so first you need to understand that in, um, in any psychological operation, you need to identify your target audience before you try to figure out what they're going to do. Target audiences range in demographic, in different religions, you have to break it down. What is the, what are the motivations that, how can that group in particular be motivated to do what you want? Um, if you wanted the average law abiding, nominally Christian American to do what you want, you are always going to pull the, this is a, the charitable thing to do. This is the loving thing to do. Um, you're killing grandma. And, and so they play the, the, instead of playing to fear because we can't, the fear isn't working with the virus. They had to increase the, the level of personal threat. And in this case, that level has to do with people thinking that you're a bad person or you're a menace if you don't comply rather than the fear of, you know, being struck down by a a, a very survivable, highly survivable virus. So the fear, fear is always the underlying motivation, but what is the manipulation tool? What is the technique being used? In this case, the, the vulnerability that's being exploited is definitely that social proof. I'm good. This is virtuous. My, I have a clean and spotless criminal record. And, um, and anybody that, you know, goes against, what's going on may, may or may not have a run-in with um, the police at some point. So that's right. That's and you and I were talking off the air about the, one of the new Dave Cullen videos, and he, he really compared where we're going as humans to cattle or slaves. And he, he named these five things. One, getting the cooties poke. Two, locked behind walls. Three, you're identified. He pointed to the little tag that goes into a cow's ear. And four, sterilized, which we can be pretty sure the cooties poke is going to do and then thinning or culling the herd um essentially anybody that owns cattle can eventually thin or call his own own herd so those five points 
Dave Cullen believes that this whole COVIDocracy is ramping us up to make us just like cattle or slavery. One jabbed, two locked behind walls, lockdowns, three identified, which they've already started in Europe where he is, four sterilized, I think there's good evidence for that on the jab, and then five thinning the herd. Um, and so I agree with you, Emily. I think just the sense that um, wearing the if wearing the mask is greasing the skids for participation in a genocide, then that is where we draw the line. That is a bad law. Is genocide a bad law? Yes, that's where we don't say the mask is arbitrary, but actually bad because it's greasing the skids for what could be the greatest genocide in history. And this is, again, I've said this a thousand times. Why is the priest talking about this? Because Mary said the errors of Russia, entire nations will be annihilated. And if wearing the mask is a participation in this priming for the annihilation of nations, and as we've talked about, COVIDocracy is a new religion, then we can have no compromise with pagan genocides, to tell you the truth. Um, but unfortunately, there were even Catholics there who uh, saw you as the enemy. One guy blessed you, so he thought. <laughs> yeah, I was rather bizarre, I'll, I'll be honest. And we'll uh, go back. The... So this, is, this was this week getting removed from the school board and tell us about the night at Columbus. <laughs> yeah, so um, one of the elected representatives of the county, um, he, he, as he's on the school board and I was already outside the building at this point. And as he is walking out, he passes me. I barely noticed him. He's an older man, you know, small. He comes very close to me in my face uh, to the point where the police actually got in between him because they thought maybe he was trying to assault me or something. And he, he even holds his hand like this and right in my face does the sign of the cross. And at the time, I could only take it as as a mockery of Christ. I I really I really was enraged by that. You know, I think in a in a um, a just anger for a mockery of my God. And you know, I let him know, you know, the the blasphemous nature of his of his so called blessing. Later, I come to find out that he's <laughs> that he is a Knights of the Columbus, like he's a fourth order guy. And, um, and so he was probably, you know, obviously Nevis Ordo probably just trying to, you know, cast out, you know, whatever the, the menace that I am. Um, so that was, it was bizarre. Definitely. Isn't it sad though, that compliance with Marxism has become what it means to be a good little boy, a good little Knight of Columbus has to cast out the demons allegedly of the person who's resisting the very errors of Marxism. I mean, this this shows us the infiltration of Marxism, not only into the hierarchy of the Catholic church, but into the average mind of the Catholic out there. Yeah, I think it's really frightening. Um, the, just the, the notion that you have to be lockstep, like all the, uh, that to be a good citizen and to be a good Christian or be a good Catholic, you have to obey despite well, everything else we know in the gospels, despite the fact that St. Paul had a wonderfully long rap sheet. We just forget that just because you have, um, you know, your law abiding, that doesn't mean, mean that you are a good person. That's right. and, and that's very confusing right now because I, I, I do see a lot of debate in, in 
Christian and even in Catholic circles about what are we to do now and what what is morally right in terms of our own resistance. And I, I tell you, like in my own, you know, examination of conscience, I I think about this stuff too and sometimes wonder. Yeah, we were talking off the air that you look back and you, you look at small mistakes at an event like that and Satan gets in there. This is why the book of the apocalypse calls him the accuser. And, you know, when I was on my 30 day silent retreat before I was a priest, it was actually my first year in seminary. So it was 15 or 20 years ago. And this was a 30 day Ignatian silent retreat. And I remember I asked the Lord, what's if I became a priest, what's the number one way I would probably go to hell? And usually I didn't do this on the, it was usually more structured than just like randomly opening your Bible. But for this one period of of prayer, I said, if I were to be ordained, where is the number one chance I'd most likely go to hell? And I opened up to randomly the parable of the talents that, you know, it was the person who wouldn't take any risks, who said, I knew you were a harsh and demanding master who, who buried his talents, who didn't invest any of them like the other two guys. And in living in fear and ultra safety, he buried them. And this was God's message to me. Like I was all worried about, okay, would I... Would I leave my priesthood for a woman or speak heresy or whatever else? And what God specifically, this might be different for a different priest, but for me, what God showed me was I would most likely lose my soul as a priest if I hid my talents and went off, lived in extreme fear because God would be demanding. And in other words, I'd most likely lose my soul if I lived in ultra safe priesthood. Um, now, 11 years in, anyone who knows my life would probably say, well, you definitely didn't fall too, too much into that temptation uh, at all. But, you know, I always say in a war, you cannot, you cannot examine every bullet before you fire it. And I think at the end of our lives, we're going to want to look back and say, we made some mistakes of small sins of omissions or commission. I'd rather, I'd rather have sins of commission at this point of where we are as we look around and it seems just like Marxists have totally infiltrated the Catholic church hierarchy. Marxists have infiltrated the state globally, not just the United States, all over the place. And as we're called to teach the faith, be charitable and resist this Marxism that Merit Fatima warned against, I'd rather make some sloppy mistakes while trying to stay strong and, and actually act against all this than look back on my deathbed and say, well, I never made a mistake oh, but I never tried to stave off Marxism influencing my country and Catholic church. Right. And I, you, you see it a lot, you know, in, in Catholic circles, I see this online, people talking about, well, my duty as a father is to provide for my family. And so I can't lose my job. Otherwise I would morally be culpable for not providing and you kind of see the, the mental gymnastics going on when in, in fact, not staving off communism is just giving it to your children as an inheritance. I mean, how is that providing as a father? So we really got to think about some of these moral prerogatives and priorities um, and, and trust God with the rest of it. Yeah, that's and that's right. really what uncancelable is all about. That's that was actually gonna be my next topic is is this word you made up uncancelable. I see that at the top of your Facebook and stuff. And I think it's really linked to the resurrection that if Jesus has conquered death, then there's nothing else we should be afraid of. But as soon as I say that I fear once I say the resurrection has made us uncancelable. And you know, we always hear this like Jesus has already won the war. 
of course, all that's absolutely true, but I, I fear there's a lot of Catholics out there because we've lived relatively safe lives in the United States. And unfortunately, we've all kind of been brainwashed and thinking everybody goes to heaven. When I were to, if I were to say something like the resurrection makes us all uncancelable, people might think of a martyr in Rome 1700 years ago. Unfortunately, some Catholics might be, might think, okay, everybody's saved because Jesus conquered death. But I think what's a lot harder to accept about being uncancelable as, as you've kind of named yourself, or at least that's your goal in life is to realize if we follow our conscience in the moment, God is going to be faithful, but it might not be immediate. In other words, uncancelable has nothing to do with the health and wealth gospel. Following our conscience in the moment might lead to a hard 10 or 20 years in our life. Um, but ultimately, because Christ has conquered death, if we do the right thing, and we're going to talk about conscience later, because that does play into it. I don't mean in the hyper subjective sense that most modernists mean conscience. But we are going to talk about the fact there is something subjective in conscience in a minute. Um, I think that this title, Uncancelable, is very linked to the resurrection. Any thoughts on that? Well, first of all, Father, like I really want to inspire others to think about this concept. It's, I mean, I obviously aspire to it and it is a constant journey, but I really want other people to be asking themselves like what it would take for them to, to get to that point. And I ultimately use it as a window and an opportunity to evangelize. So when it comes to, you know, the health and wealth gospel that you talked about, yeah, I definitely think that when you take a daily step to not compromise, you're usually signing up for some difficulties, you know, temper, you know, temporally. That's right. I, I know, I know our family, we're about to lose the second half of our income because we don't want the, the cooties poke and it's been mandatory, is now mandatory by the military. So we, we have, the opportunity now to really rely on, on God to provide us for the basics that we need um, while continuing to meet the dictates of our, of our conscience and to, and to in small ways resist because that's what this is all about. And so, so you're putting your money where your mouth, you're not just on social media saying, look at me, I'm uncancelable. You're about to foot the bill in a big way for following your conscience on the cooties poke and the mask. We're about to get creative on how to do basic on how we're going to manage basic things like the mortgage. <laughs> well, and I think it's important to realize you and I were talking off the air of look at somewhere like Venezuela. I mean, communism first came under Chavez to the cities and then later under Maderas, the, the government of Venezuela, which at the time was the richest country in South America, still has a bigger oil reserve than I think Saudi Arabia or anywhere else. Now in Venezuela, toilet paper is worth more than cash. And I don't mean that by way of hyperbole. I mean, literally, toilet paper is worth more than cash in Venezuela. There was a picture of the military. They actually awarded the military. Somehow they weren't ashamed of this. And they had a special military award. And they had two soldiers with three or four rolls of toilet paper in their hands because that was their award for outstanding service. Um, I think bananas, uh, a bunch of bananas, like five or six bananas, is it's equal to one day or one week's um, income down there. This is what happened when socialism came, but the farms were one of the last places they showed up to, and the government commandeered even the farms of rural workers. I think that was under Madeiras, not Chavez. But I guess where I'm going on this whole thing is if we don't stand up now, 
you're only going to kick the can down the road of when you lose it anyway. So it's not like, okay, Emily is about to lose everything because she's courageous. And then all the wimpy Catholics are going to get to live easy lives. No, they're going to come for you too. So we might as well band together and do the right thing now. Right. And I, I do think that they'll probably pick off the folks that are in, inciting others to, to stand up and, and follow, you know, really the gospels at the end of the, this is really just Christianity and, and truth versus the devil and all of the lies. Now, you know, his institution at this time is Marxism. Well, ours is supposed to be the church. And so we have to follow the, the teachings of the church of all time. And what our, what our, the doctors of the church and the saints have always told us is this, we have to follow our conscience and, and let leave the rest, all the consequences that the earth might, the world might throw at us. We just have to leave those up to God, whether or not he plans to save us from them or not. I mean, to include the thing you mentioned about the farm, I think a lot of, um, Traditionalists are looking into safe havens and refuges and, and kind of getting back to, to a homesteader life, but we also can't wed ourselves to even that as being, mm. um, you know, the ultimate way that we're going to save ourselves. Like, that's not how this is going to go. The heirs of Russia are not just going to spread over the whole world except our farms. <laughs> yeah, or the U.S. military or whatever. Um, and we're going to talk actually probably on the next podcast about prepping. So we're going to, this is kind of a negative podcast. We're going to have the positive side of what Emily has to say to us about, um, you know, prepping in the future. I was listening to a podcast by Michael Knowles recently about how this science worship is leading to a religion of death. And he talked about a British band where he had everybody raise their hands to show that their hands were sanitized. And you, I, it was actually a, a concert that was all about the vaccine, all about the jab. And he pointed out that the way that this was done with hands in the air and the cleansliness and the, and the concert only for those who've had the cooties poke, Michael Nose pointed out how really this is the ritualization of a new religion. And uh, Dave Cullen, who I mentioned 15 minutes, 10 minutes ago, he was the first that really showed that why this is a new religion, because there's rituals of sanitization, there's rituals of cleansliness, there's heretics or infidels, which you and I are, Emily, um, there's even the new sacraments, which is taking the cooties poke, right? And so this is where anybody listening who's like, well, that's just that's just too extreme to say that the mask and the poke has anything to do with, or re resisting those two things has anything to do with Christianity. Well, here's what it has to do with Christianity, because you can only be one religion. If you're going to follow the COVIDocracy religion, then you can't be Christian, you know? Um, now, my premise might be wrong. Maybe these aren't anything to do with a, a religion, but if it is a new religion that is taking over the world, that is replacing paganism, which, by the way, the church fathers said the Antichrist would do, if this is more about the ritualization of cleansliness, the ritualization of a poke, and the ritualization of true believers versus heretics, then I'm sorry, we're dealing with a new religion, not bad medicine. It is very bad medicine that they're doing, but the bad medicine is secondary to the fact that we're looking at a religion. And this is where I agree 100% with you that to be apostolic Catholics, we have to resist the first time in history that we've ever seen this. Maybe this is why nobody knows, nobody has the play sheet on what to do on this. But the fact this is the first time in history, a single world religion now threatens traditional Catholicism. Yeah, you have to pick between apostolic Catholicism and the COVIDocracy. You, you don't get to say, I want both to make, to make my life easy. We're really talking 
conscious. This is probably a good segue to St. Thomas More. I'm going to show a clip. Actually, I'll just put it up right now. Thomas, you insult his majesty and council in the person of the Lord Archbishop. I insult no one. I will not take the oath. I will not tell you why I will not. Then your reasons must be treasonable. Not must be. Maybe. Oh, it's a fair assumption. The law requires more than an assumption. The law requires a fact. Ah, well, of course, I cannot judge your legal standing in the case, but until I know the ground of your objections, I can only guess your spiritual standing, too. If you're willing to guess that, Your Grace, it should be small matter to guess my objection. Then you do have objection to the act. Well, we know that, Cromwell. Uh, no, my lord, you don't. You may suppose I have objections. All you know is that I will not swear to it, for which you cannot lawfully harm me further. But if you were right in supposing me to have objections, and right again in supposing my objections to be treasonable, the law would let you cut my head off. Oh. Yes. Oh, well done, Sir Thomas. I've been trying to make that clear to His Grace for some time. Oh, confound all this. I'm not a scholar. I don't know whether the marriage was lawful or not. But damn it, Thomas, look at these names. Why can't you do as I didn't come with us for fellowship? And when we die, and you are sent to heaven for doing your conscience, and I am sent to hell for not doing mine, will you come with me for fellowship? So those of us whose names are there are damned, Sir Thomas? I have no window to look into another man's conscience. I condemn no one. Then the matter is capable of question. Certainly. But the duo obedience to your king is not capable of question, so weigh a doubt against a certainty and sign. Some men think the earth is round. Others think it flat. It is a matter capable of question. But if it is flat, will the king's command make it round? And if it is round, will the king's command flatten it? No, I will not sign. Then you have more regard for your own doubt than the king's command. For myself, I have no doubt. No doubt of what? No doubt that I will not take this oath. But why I will not, you, Master Secretary, will not trick out of me. I might get it out of you in other ways. You threaten like a dockside bully. How should I threaten? Like a minister of state with justice. Oh, justice is what you're threatened with. Then I am not threatened. And so in that clip you saw right there, St. Thomas More shows that he doesn't think he's better than anybody else, but he's very clear if, if he's going to be saved, he has to follow his conscience. He's not saying that they're going to go to hell if they're not just like him, but he is saying he has to follow his conscience. Any thoughts on that clip, Emily? Well, I just, I can't help but to think about the, the church hierarchy right now. I mean, have we not been told just like St. Thomas More was told that he should do it for fellowship? Well, haven't we been told we should do it for charity? Have we not been told that this is a, a well, I think Francis said it, this is a gift of love. Taking the Kudus book is a gift of love, despite the fact that it was the Kudus book is manufactured, tested on a, the blood sacrifice of children ripped apart within the womb. Oh, I forgot to mention that. That's the other part of, of, um, of religion is sacrifice. So it actually has the sacrificial aspect 
of children replacing the holy sacrifice of the mass mass to be part of that. And yet in Canada, we saw there's a certain diocese. You're not allowed to go to get the sacraments now in the di uh, certain diocese, in, at least one diocese in Canada, um, unless you've had that. So people would look at the fact that there's there's not a single ordinary in the world that said you shouldn't get that. Vigano did, but he's an archbishop, but not an ordinary. Ordinary means you're a bishop over a geographical region. We haven't had a single ordinary in the world. People say, well, could they all be wrong? I, I guarantee you there were people that said to St. Thomas More, you know, every bishop on this island, except that kook John Fisher, has all taken what the king has said as the new religion. Do you really think all the bishops are wrong except you? Well... <laughs> Guess what? That country's not Catholic anymore. And the only two people canonized out of that whole thing, well, there was a bunch of martyrs that came from it. But in that event in history, it's St. Thomas More and St. John Fisher. So as I've said on a lot of podcasts, opinion polls do not determine the truth. Um, what I want to say to everybody constantly, I just realized I could sublimate out of all my blogs and podca podcasts this one, this one fact that Catholicism can't change and Marxism can't change. I mean, you know, I really think that probably if Jesus doesn't return soon, I think at the restoration of the church in 50 years, um, after the truth of Vatican II comes out and the truth of the Cooties Pope comes out, any normie Catholic still alive may come to traditional Catholics and say, you were right. Well, I hope we don't say, yeah, I was right. I hope we say, I hope we say this. Yeah. Hey, we love you. We're all in this together, but never doubt this again. Put this in the imperative. Never doubt this again. Catholicism can't change and Marxism can't change. I've mentioned before, people call me a prophet. Other people call me insane. It has nothing to do with being a prophet or insane. It's that I know how to read a book. I can read a dogmatic book and I know Catholicism will not change. I know how to read a Marxist book and I know Marxism won't change. Only the instrumentation of the latter changes. And this is where that's my entire message to everybody on every podcast and blog. Catholicism can't change and Marxism can't change. And you know, God forbid, if I'm still alive in 50 years, and I have to say, I told you so, I'm not going to say I told you so. All I'm going to say to people is, please never doubt again, the fact Catholicism can't change and Marxism can't change. Well, I think, Father, the reason why they can't change is because Marxism is the perfect tool for the devil, because it exploits all of our natural human psychology, which was given to us by God, who doesn't change. How does so, it do that? How does it do that? Well, Father, I think besides the obvious being an atheistic in nature and just denying God's existence, let alone his authority. And that the fact that all authority comes from God and doesn't derive at the head of state, we also have just the consistent fear mongering. So it's one, whether it's fear of a, you know, negligible virus that causes the ability, the, the regime's ability to, gather as much control as possible, or it's just the fear of being socially outcasted or being called a menace because you're doing something about it. So there's also this desire for worldly recognition that comes along with, with uh, Marxism, because you can only advance if you belong to the party, right? So if, and this plays right into our psychology, of course, into our human vices and our sin and our sinful nature, but you know, you have to not only you, you have to deny your reason that's God given, know full well that you're voluntarily giving that up because none of the dictates ever have any reason associated with them in order 
to continue to progress in society. Otherwise you'll become an unmentionable. Um, you'll have to be underground or, or, you know, you're not hireable. You're, you're, maybe you have a rap sheet. So it really does just, it's such an amalgamation of all the lies that the devil can concoct and put all together into one horrific ideology. That's right. And I was, I was riding my bike past the Denver public school. I think it was a grade school and I paused my bike and there was all these kids in the playground, probably 40% of them were masked on the outside. At least it wasn't hundred percent. I was happy to see it was only 40%, but still broke my heart to see kids playing outside with masks on. And the rest of my bike ride back, I started to think, why did Mary warn us about the errors of Marxism? And this is the answer that came to me. I'm not saying this is from God. It's probably just my own musings or whatever. But if you look at most of the evil regimes of history, look at like the Aztecs slaughtering people or the Nazis or whatever. Um, the Aztecs really can't grow beyond them because they're slaughtering the other nations. The other nations recognize this as evil. Um, Nazism was recognized outside of Germany as pretty quickly as evil. But communism that killed in the 20th century over a hundred million of each of its own citizens is two problems with it. One is not recognizable as evil. Like look at the Knight of Columbus blessing you thinking that he is on the good guy's side. Can you imagine a Knight of Columbus thinking he had to exercise somebody who stood against Nazism? It's absolutely insane. And then the second thing about Marxism that hit me is this is the number one system Satan has chosen to reach the maximum amount of people in the maximum amount of countries to turn against Christ. Yes, there's been lots, the Aztec regime, the Nazis, all these other things, but I don't think Satan's come up with a regime where the instrumentation can reach as this, this many people as possible in this short of time as Marxism. That is why I think Mary warned against it. And would we look around and let's say someone came back with a little mustache and started something called, you know, the Nazos instead of the Nazis, can we be sure the bishops would be thundering against anybody that wants to kill Jews again? Of course. But communism killed 14 times what the Nazis did. And you're being exercised by a Knight of Columbus for standing against a clear Marxist regime. How can people possibly be this blind? And the fact is, this is why Mary warned us, because it's so tricky. These people actually think they're doing the right thing in lining up with health tyranny, health communism. And that's why those of us that do see it, I mean, other than just trying to help others, you know, reveal the truth to them, that's why we have to have, take active steps. We can't, I mean, I pray my rosary as, as much as any traditional faithful Catholic will do on a daily basis, but I'm not, and of course those are bullets, but we also yeah. have other means and other talents, as you mentioned, um, that we need to use in an active way in the world, um, even though this is primarily a spiritual battle. That's right. And so we'll talk next time about your, what do you call it? The concentric circles of personal responsibility. What did you call it again? It's concentric circles of ownership. I'm sure oh, there's ownership. books written about it. I have never read one. This is just how my family and I um, allocate our resources um, in order to prepare for so great. this, this uh, takeover. So there's a little teaser. Today's just the bad news of really recognizing you got to get the diagnosis down in medicine before you get the prognosis and the, and the treatment down. So today's a little bit of the diagnosis, why Marxism so bad, and really why being uncancelable is united to the passion, death, and resurrection of Christ, 
um, and really why you're not a bad person um, for following the apostles. I want to quote, close with this quote from G.K. Chesterton. He says, Jesus promised his disciples three things, that they would be completely fearless, absurdly happy, and in constant trouble. And so we have a uh, modern apostolic Catholic, Captain Emily Rainey, who is completely fearless, seems pretty happy to me, and we know for sure she is in constant trouble. Thanks for joining us today, Thanks, Captain Emily. God bless you.